0: Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. The entire country tries to cope, tries to make sense of the mass violence we saw in South Texas, but not just that. The shooting, which left 19 children, two teachers, and a mentally ill gunman dead, along with his grandmother, came barely over a week. After another mass shooting, prosecutors considered a potential racial hate crime at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Ten dead there. Central Illinois Republican Congressman Darren LaHood sat down with WNBD's The Greg and Dan Show to answer some questions about that and talk about other pressing issues. Like supply problems and agribusiness as well.
1: On the big picture stuff, Dan and I, of course, and you and everyone in this world that we live in here around central Illinois and this country for the last few days, two weeks since Buffalo, really, we're we're trying to figure out what is the best plan. It's it, it, We have to have a plan, right? And so there's arguing about the plan. The plan is... Uh, on one side, people want to like uh, do things with guns, and other people say, well, it's not guns. It's, it's, uh, it's a mental health issue. It's mental parity. health. Yeah. It's all this stuff. But <clears throat> what I'm really frustrated about is my lack of understanding of what you and your fellow lawmakers, especially on a federal level but also state level, what you are even capable of doing. What, what can you do? You can't legislate behavior can you you can't can you you can't uh greg and
2: and you know let me just first of all say i mean every everyone's talked about this just having three boys just how tragic this latest incident is i mean pure evil um you know my gut reaction to all this is just sadness through the whole thing so to your question what can be done I think I've heard from a lot of people this week on both sides of this aisle, I mean, that are just passionate about this, but I think it has to be multifaceted. What do I mean by that? So we we do need to look at our laws and how we can fix something like this from happening again. Number two, I think you got to focus on mental illness, behavioral health. Uh, and we got to put more money and more resources into that. Thirdly, you got to enforce the laws on the books. So what do I mean by that? Right now, under our federal law, if you're a convicted felon, you shouldn't have a weapon. That's easy. If you've been convicted of domestic violence, you can't have a weapon. If you've been adjudicated or been treated for mental illness, you can't have a weapon. Well, what does that mean? So if you've been on antidepressants for 10 years, mm-hmm. should you be in a database that you can't go possess a weapon? If you've had Prozac prescription for the last 15 years, should you not be able to possess a weapon? And so let's say what, we what set up... What is your answer to those two well, last I, Well, I, I think there's a lot of civil liberties answers. There's a lot yeah. of HIPAA issues yeah. on that. And so when we talk about mental illness, behavioral health... I mean it gets down to the details on this of, of what that means. If you are a veteran and you've been to the VA and you've been to see a psychologist for ten years, should you be put on a database that you can't possess a weapon? And
3: what one person determines that or is it a panel people or whoever? So so enforcing those those laws is a big part of
2: it. So when I say multifaceted, I think it's mental health. School safety, security is a big part of this. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about red flag laws. We've talked about background checks. I, I will tell you this, we ought to be open-minded on how that can help in this area, if it can help. But I think this has to be multifaceted in, I, in all these different can areas. Can I throw but, another
1: one in that I know is happening here locally? <clears throat> uh, I know that the uh, law enforcement community, and you're a former prosecutor, uh, that, that they're frustrated because uh, people can be arrested here uh, and there is no place to put them. We are full. The, 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 the inn is full out at the Peoria County Jail with not enough staff and too many people. And by law, by, by just or, or practicality, uh, people are let go. And that's even before we're going to start doing this other thing with a bail and all that stuff. And next to your year.
2: point, just real quick yeah. on that, Greg, on mental health and behavioral health. I mean, what what Unity Point is doing in terms oh of gosh. building. A, so we so just good. announced uh, yeah. three weeks ago two million dollars that we were able to get as a grant that's going to go to the Headington Oaks facility. Yeah, you talk to police, you talk, yeah. to you talk to District One Hundred and Fifty, you talk to health professionals. We need a facility like that. Okay. That's going to happen. Now, now, um,
1: one of the challenges that the AG people are dealing with is what they call their input costs are just skyrocketing and our agribusiness show that happens before our show this morning. I heard uh, Delos Yonke, our agribusiness guy, uh, talking to folks about this. It is uh, uh, they 're trying to get help from the ag department uh, in uh, d c right I daren uh, weigh in on this tell me what where we are what 's going to happen, and what because right now profits are just plummeting
2: yeah so so um, my current district, Greg, is the tenth largest ag district in the country in terms of corn and soybean production, wow. so I have a large ag district' been talking to a lot of farmers. Um, Secondly, people forget this. In Illinois, ag is the number one industry in we Illinois. Do the it. number one. We've yeah. led the country five of the last six years in soybean production across the country. We're number two in corn production. You know, we have some of the most fertile farmland in the entire, entire world. To your point, because of inflation, input costs, so fertilizer, anhydrous, phosphate that, that farmers use, a lot of uh, some of the spraying that they do, those, those products have gone way up. Now, Most of those farmers this year, they bought early, and so they're okay. But as they look at now buying for next year, Mm -hmm. exorbitant prices. And a lot of that is tied to inflation. As we know, things are up 8 to 10%, even more, and the high cost of of, of fuel, right? I mean, we think about energy. Obviously, no one's happy about $5 gas and where we're at on that. But the energy that goes into producing these things, uh, also Russia and Ukraine produced a lot of fertilizer that we would use, too. So. From my perspective, we got to get back to energy independence. We had that. We had $2 a gallon three years ago. Mm-hmm. We're now at 5 I don't think the Keystone Pipeline would have changed it, but it's emblematic of what we got to do. We have 200 years of oil left in this country. Yeah. And the last point that I make is we were a net exporter of oil. We did have energy independence. Right. And unfortunately, the Biden administration on day one changed their approach on that, not knowing what was going to happen in Ukraine. Sure. I think that was a mistake.
1: What about the uh, the lack of a new refinery? Does that ever get talked about? We haven't had one since 1960.
2: But those are hard to get done. Absolutely. I mean, to, to get the permitting to put, I mean, there's a lot but, of. Regular- but why didn't
1: somebody think about it 25 years ago or, or 30 years ago? Well, it just I, seems we, like an awful long time. I,
2: I think we have plenty of refineries on okay. the on the mm-hmm. in, in Louisiana and Texas. Uh, but it's getting the oil out of the ground in a environmentally safe way and getting it produced we're not doing that enough now and that's why we're relying we're begging venezuela for oil right now we're begging mm-hmm. iran for oil I, my point is we ought to have energy independence we have the ability to do that you've got to let that flow so when something like this happens with the invasion of ukraine right. it, we energy prices we price, we're, don't we're get not them. in this yeah. situation yeah. we have the ability to do that yeah.
3: and and it's not just energy independence it's independence of key Uh, ingredients that drive this country. We shifted with globalization, all our manufacturing overseas, and became a service country. Seventy percent of our country uh, is finance and insurance. We got away from the fact that we have Precious minerals here, which Russia has, that we have in mind, including lithium for car batteries, nickel, Uh, you look at precious metals, Uh, we kind of need to get back, and I know uh, President Trump in his gut said, why are we manufacturing microchips? Why are we manufacturing all this stuff overseas? we got to shift some of this back to the United States so we're not so dependent on other countries for key uh, ingredients in this economy. Well, you're exactly right, Danny. We're having that conversation right now
2: with semiconductors, right? China's heavily invested for the next 50 years in semiconductors. We have a bill called the CHIPS Act that Mm -hmm. would bring that production to the United States. The difficulty is we're going to give a tax break to incentivize that to stay here. It's about 25% for chip companies. A lot of people say, why are we giving Intel a tax break? They'll tell you, to invest in this country and to stay here in a free market system, they want to do that. China subsidizes everything. Their state-owned enterprises subsidize everything. We don't do that. We rely on the marketplace. So we almost have to be more like them to incentivize those companies and businesses to stay there. Because semiconductors are the future for military, our intelligence apparatus, for manufacturing, for cars, all that. We need to bring that, uh, th- those manufacturing jobs back to the United States. We're working on that. You
1: know what the irony of that to me is? We're all old enough to remember that the uh organized labor movement or unions predicted this oh, yeah. 40 50 years ago <laughs> they were like dudes stop sending our jobs overseas and they and, and it was a big fight between the unions and corporations and well, uh, you know, forty years later, they were uh, the the proofs in the pudding. We're in trouble on yeah. that stuff. and yeah.
2: and we're economically tied around the world. You know, I use <laughs> yeah. the example all the time. In China right now, CAT has twenty nine manufacturing plants in China, wow. four R and D facilities. They're a worldwide corporation. Yeah. so we're tied, you know, to to a lot of these companies around the world, and when something happens. A geopolitical issue, you know, it changes things.
3: And China's trying to come in here and buy up a lot of our agricultural land and secrets. Absolutely. I'm
1: I'm super late, but I do have to ask this question Uh, uh, district stuff. Uh, You're still 18. But you won't be? Or you're not still 18? What are you now?
2: We moved from 18 to 17 in Illinois because we lost one. I'm in the 16th now. My new district, 16th. I keep Peoria. That is currently.
1: uh, It's already 16th.
2: I'm running in the 16th. I'm in the 18th now. Okay. So so in the June election and the November election, I'm running 16th. For
1: 16th. Okay. This is hard to keep track of.
0: Peoria police have issued a warning about a new crackdown on so-called pop-up parties and reckless roving vehicle caravans that have become a problem in town. Police Chief Eric Echeverria on Thursday talked to reporters about them happening once again here at the site of one over the weekend near the Gateway Building downtown where many tire treads could be seen in the road and where two years ago a dozen people were shot at such a party. He says we don't have a problem with the young men and women coming out and parking cars or opening their hoods and hanging out. That's not necessarily the issue. He says the issue is the drag racing the running of red lights to get there, the caravans themselves, and the violence that results. Hundreds of youngsters will suddenly arrive at a location, generally where there is open land, and begin partying and hanging out together in events that are likely organized on social media. Police say it is at these parties where a lot of gun violence is taking place and other laws are being broken. They seem to hit many of the same spots But officers head on down, walk through. There will be a big crowd of 50 to 80 cars, each car with multiple occupants, officers just walking through. There's open alcohol, drinking, driving open-air drugs. Sometimes there's guns, and sometimes they've had people in caravans get shot, according to police. Chief Echeverria says Peoria police are going to crack down on roving drag racers using, quote, all investigative tools to take enforcement action including license plate readers. Involved vehicles will be towed, impounded, and hundreds of dollars in fines will be levied. We'll take you back to Thursday and the moment that the chief got with the press at the Gateway Building to tell us more.
4: You're obviously here because of the press release we put out on the pop-up parties and our reckless driving. And we're out here in this area because I I want you to specifically see what we see when we come in uh, after a weekend and some of the activity that's out here, the evidence is still out here. You see the tire marks, the drag racing that's going on, the donuts that are being done here. Uh, and I want to I state that we don't have a problem with our, our, our young men and women coming out and parking their cars, opening their hoods and hanging out. That's not the issue here that's at hand. The issue is the drag racing, the running the red lights to get here, uh, in the caravans. If you follow the law, you're not, you're not drinking and driving, They're not carrying guns in the vehicles, drugs in the vehicle. There is no issue. Um, And so when we pull up and you decide to flee from from us, um, we're going to take down the license plates. And we're going to continue to do some follow up on that uh, to the point that if we have information that you fled, that you were the one drag racing, that you were the one committing some of the crimes, we will go tow the vehicles. Uh, Make no doubt about that. We will follow up on this. This is not, and again, I'll reiterate, if you want to come hang out, and you want to have a, a place to just sit and hang out with your friends and show off your car without breaking the law, we're okay with that. We are definitely okay with that. Uh, what we're not okay with is you, drinking and driving, the guns, the drugs, the, the, the racing of vehicles. Um, we've had too many fatalities in vehicles. Uh, we've had too many shootings, obviously. And we're going to do everything we can to curtail the violence uh, in this city. Part of that is this is when we see this reckless driving and these type of activities, we're going to deal with that as well. How
5: common are these um, pop up parties and these caravans? you're
4: talking about? So I, I couldn't hear you. How
5: off like how common are
4: these? The, the, the very common, common enough for us to say we need to talk about it, right? Um, uh, virtually every weekend we're seeing these uh, coming up, so.
5: Oh, two years ago, there were 13 people shot
4: at one of these down here. Yep, I'll let the assistant chief talk about that one. This is the spot
6: where that happened, right here. 13 people shot. I believe it was like 111 rounds fired, multiple firearms. So that's exactly what we're trying to avoid. And, uh, you know, like the chief said, just to reiterate that, we're not trying to enforce, uh, we're not trying to kick people out that are legally parked and having fun and enjoying themselves. It's uh, illegal activity. and. Um, they're not. We're not talking about minor infractions. We're talking about firearms violations, um, drugs, and um, just total disregard for any traffic control de- device. With 50 to 80 vehicles, high rates of speed. Um, That—that's what we're looking to curtail.
0: If, if they're pop-up parties, though, how can you kind of do the enforcement or even know that they're going on? So, well, they're—they're
6: they're here a lot, and yeah. uh, they—they kind of hit the same spots, but. You know, the officers go down, they walk through, there'll be a large crowd, 50 to 80 cars. Each car has multiple occupants and they just walk through and and there's um, open alcohol, drinking and driving, you know, um, um, open air drugs. um, Sometimes we see guns. um, We've had people in the caravan shot. um, You know, we've we've had uh, uh, serious accidents as a result of caravanning. So um, that's what we're trying to curtail. Up here at the riverfront. Well, they're large open lots. Not always public lots, but um, you know, um, sometimes schools, sometimes businesses. Um, but they'll they'll move as one group in a caravan. And when they move from one group, as soon as the police show up, um, sometimes before they can even get to the to the group of cars, just to walk through uh, and observe, they'll just take off and. That's where the issues are in the caravanning with the traffic and the high speeds. Are
5: you worried about an uptake of these over Memorial Day weekend?
6: But it's a concern, you know, and it's these are seasonal. We don't see them it when it's two degrees out for obvious reasons, but, um, you know, we're trying to get out in front of it now. We're trying to be transparent about our enforcement and it's a significant fine to have your car impounded for reckless driving, you know, so uh, we're trying to be upfront and transparent about that. And, like the chief said, if you're down here just enjoying yourself and you're not doing anything that would cause your car to get impounded, you don't have anything to worry about.
0: So, is it extra patrols or is it some other thing that? Uh, well, what can you do? I guess you know. We,
6: well, we have details every weekend um, just to deal with the surge in crowds. You know, like um, we have we have officers that are detailed to uh, downtown foot patrol, things like that, and um, you know that's their job. So the details are out every weekend, and and. Uh, you know we're going to monitor these large group of gathering where we have seen historically some major incidents occur.
4: And to further answer that question is what we're going to do is follow up on it, right? right. Um, so you may be able to get away that night, but if we know what vehicle you drive and we have that information, you got to park that vehicle at some point, and we got tow trucks, right? So put that put that together, right? We're going to again in no uncertain terms we will follow up. And we will tow those vehicles. But again, we want people to have a good time and we want people to enjoy life. We're not trying to uh, ruin things for them, but they can't violate the law, right? And and put other people's safety in jeopardy. Our job as the police is public safety, right? And we want to make sure that our public is safe. So when they're driving again down the street and just running through traffic lights, that's a problem, that's a problem. If they want to follow each other and follow the law and stop at the red light and zone speed, there's no issue. There's no issue here. And so I invite those that are out doing this, if they have a solution that they think will work, come see me. Come see me at the police department. Let's sit down and have a conversation and let's come up with an answer that works for all of us. But we can't continue to have this type of activity. We can't continue to see this. Uh, Somebody is going to get hurt. And we're not going to allow that. Um, We're going to do everything we can to keep our community safe. What's the
5: role of social media in coordinating these things?
4: Well, everybody's on social media nowadays, right? So uh, that's a great point. Uh, I'm sure that they're publicizing, hey, we're going to meet here. This is what we're going to do. We also see social media, right? How old are the crowds that you're seeing? The ages vary, but it's young adults. you know. Young adults, juveniles, uh, you know, high school age, and, and young adults.
0: If you have any information regarding these pop up parties or roving vehicle caravans and drag races, please contact the Peoria Police Department at this number 309 673 4521. You could contact TIP 411 anonymously or Crime Stoppers anonymously at 309 309- Six seven three nine thousand. Once again, we focus on the efforts that have been undertaken to avert a disaster at Peoria's stricken bioersia ethanol plant and a conversation with the man who was thrust into leadership in the midst of an ever-evolving crisis. Peoria Interim Fire Chief Sean Solberger joined me by phone once again to check back in now that things have improved at the site, significantly so just getting an update because demolition is underway although maybe a little bit delayed by weather um, but underway nonetheless tell us how the uh, things have been progressing out there
5: and really from a demolition standpoint i'm not sure things could have gone any better Um, the crew from alpine demolition services has been extremely professional and they've done great work in a really short period of time so all of the towers that we had seen or silos, as we're referring to them now, that had sustained structural damage that were leaning, all four of those structures are down. And so what he's doing now is, is removing that metal from that area. And the only silo that we'll see standing from this point, and it's kind of hard to see, is silo 75. So it's structurally intact. Mm-hmm. It has over 200,000 bushels of corn product in it. So that's going to take a little bit longer to get all of that sustained, but we feel like at this time that there's no uh, immediate danger.
0: All right. So, how close are you to uh, breathing a sigh of relief?
5: Um, (laughs) we're there. We're right there at the finish line. Uh, I think that we started feeling that today we we've had we've been dealt some pretty good news throughout the the course of the week with Alpine and how things have gone. Mm-hmm. me physically seeing it today and seeing where it was at, and all of those silos are down and gone. I feel much better about the situation, so does bioersia. They know that they still have some work to do working with OSHA and part of the process is too is silo seventy five is the silo that sustained the bla- or that where the blast occurred mm-hmm. so it's important to keep as much integrity to that silo as possible so that they can do a thorough investigation so that's kind of part of the process too if that makes sense
0: um i i suppose i would ask you know how tricky things even still were once the fire mitigation problem was solved for the most part you know with the combination of foam and the nitrogen gas approach um you know were there there still some Uh, pitfalls that might have come along this week how smoothly would you say uh, it really all went
5: I think that it went as smoothly as it possibly could and what I mean by that is like if we think of everything before the blast actually occurred so what we were dealing with was corn product corn dust finding an ignition source and creating an explosion well throughout this whole process over two plus weeks period of time that scenario always exists, and it actually still exists right now. Yeah. So it, it, when, we, when we start to go through these days and these weeks, keeping that in mind, as long as there's corn product there and corn dust and the possibility of finding an ignition source, that whole scenario could unfold again. Now, the reason why we're leaving is, is because each day it becomes less and less, if that makes sense. Right. So we feel fairly comfortable where we're at right now. It's still somewhat of a minor situation just because you have exposed corn product. And if we do need to respond, we'll respond just like we did on Wednesday night.
0: I know that you had mentioned before, fairly early on, Bioersia had at one point, I believe it was fairly sh- shortly after the initial explosion, Bioersia had kind of mentioned to you, like, okay. You know, you guys, you don't have to stay. You can go. And you had kind of been like, no, uh, we're going to stay. And now we've reached a point where we are. Is there there some similar indication or attitude now from BioWorks in that respect where they're kind of like, okay, you guys can go now? Um, Or is that not the case, at least not yet?
5: No, that's not the case. I think that there was a lot of lessons learned here, uh, working with Mark, the plant manager, and working with the higher-ups at Um And it, it wasn't to say in that particular time, on that Thursday, I believe that it was May 12th, that when they had determined that, that it was okay for us to leave, and even though we had given them our level of concern, um, I think we, lo- we all learned a lesson there. Yeah. And th- th- that, that level of communication no longer exists. Everyone's been extremely safe. Everyone's putting their heads together to come to, you know, daily determinations. And so what we came to was it's going to be an extensive process for them in regards to Silo 75, yep. over 200,000 bushels of corn, working with OSHA, working with our department, because we're still the lead investigators. So our prevention bureau is still going to be down there. Our fire investigator is still going to be down there, but it's going to be a much, much slower process.
0: Um. I'd have to say that any resident around here would be I think encouraged to know that you're still going to be in the room, you know, and still have a seat at the table as things go forward uh and providing insight. I So, okay, you did never you never expected number 1 coming in interim chief um then this happens and you're the guy and now how How is it? Maybe you will decide. You know, take the time. How do you process on the other side of this thing that seems so surreal? Maybe for a bit, uh, what what you went through and how how you responded.
5: Yeah, that's an interesting question, Cooper. I'll be honest. Um, Since the day that Chief Bachman left. I've challenged myself to lead this department to the best of my ability. And I think that anybody that was sitting in this seat would probably challenge themselves the same way. But that being said, um, you have to do an internal stake of yourself, you know, the things that you're good at and the things that you need work on. And one thing that I've always felt like I've always brought to the table was being a good listener and utilizing the resources that you have around you. You're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. This command staff that we have in place right now is young, um, educated, trained. So to that point, it just bringing all the people together, all of us working together from Wednesday, May 11th to the end of this, it all started the day that Chief Bachman left. And I'm not trying to sound yeah. uh, dramatic at all, but it, it really, when you're in an interim phase, it's awkward. You know, no doubt about it. Yeah, you got to go through a process. Everyone up here, whether it's me, the assistant chief, the division chief of operations, all the way down to our VC of EMS, we're all challenged in this kind of this weird, awkward place. We've all accepted that challenge, and we hope that the people that make decisions see that and and feel like we've done a good job.
0: Well, and I might even add, what better thing to have happened to get past a little bit of that interim transition instability or confusion or what better thing to have solidify more uh, of that than a thing like this. Is that, is there some truth to that
5: in your mind? There's a, there's a ton of truth to that. And when you're living in it in the moment, you don't recognize it. I will say this, this last weekend, um, the person that brought it to my attention was my own wife. Yeah. And she said, Sean, um, if this doesn't prove it to the people that make those type of decisions, then you really, she said, you put your best foot forward. Um, you led this department. You led this scene. Um, when you look at the total picture, that w- when you walk away from this, and now we're not quite done with it, but we're near the end. Yeah. Total picture, two minor injuries. Um, everyone was safe. You mitigated the situation. It just, it really kind of, when someone from the outside, and even though she's probably labeled as the inside because she's my wife. But <laughs> she's got a bit of a bias, side. maybe, but yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> she's just like, you know, when you look at the big picture, um, everybody walked away safe. You mitigated the situation, and hopefully at some point bioerges have the ability to get back fully operational. And that's, at the end of the day, when you look at it from a big-picture perspective, um, all of that's true.
0: They call them much-needed upgrades for the CityLink public transit system in Peoria – this past week, officials, including CityLink General Manager Doug Rolfs, broke ground.
7: Uh, thank you and welcome to the groundbreaking celebration of our uh, new maintenance and admin facilities. And I hope we get one going because we don't have much here now. I, I leave town for a few days and I come back and look what they do to the place. Um, but no, it's exciting. This is a great project. It's been on the books for quite a few years. Uh, Sharon probably knows more about it than I do. I've only been around here for five years, so uh, I know that I've seen plans and dusted them off from way before that. So um, so it's going to be a great project when we get done. And one of the big things about this project is the safety for our maintenance crew and uh, more room for our operations department. Uh, if you look kind of at that other building, the maintenance and operations share like the front half over on the far side and they've got like, you know, two and three desks in the offices, they've got an office out in the hallway and uh, it's just not very productive. And when we get done with this facility, they'll have like one whole floor will be maintenance, the second floor will be operation, the third floor will be administration, so it'll be a lot um, more conducive for them to uh, do their work and a little more privacy, and a little more healthier, I think. Um, so with that, I'm gonna do some introductions. Uh, first, I have Chris Ahart, the chair of the board. Uh, Jeff Hares, treasurer for our board. Sharon McBride, secretary. And Don Knox, uh, trustee. Most of these people have just been appointed within the last couple years, except for Sharon. She's been hanging around for 24 years, and we love it, so. Uh, CityLink Management, uh, Nick Standifer, AGM, and they didn't write down the rest of the names, so I'm gonna just have to wing it. Jason Culberson, Shammer Robinson, Emily Watson back there in the back. She's our marketing and everybody knows her. Jamie Arbagast, our procurement. Steve Green, director of maintenance. Shannon, HR. Um, there's Martha back there with finance. Uh, Ray's back there with finance. Marcy's around here somewhere in finance. And Lynn in finance. Um, Uh, The ATU, I just noticed we have a couple, we got the presidents Corey Siebens here and uh, Candy Brown, welcome, thank you. Uh, We got Beth Jensen from Peoria City Council sitting up here, good, who did I miss? Uh, From IDOT we have Omar Osman and he'll be speaking later, Uh, Sean Reese, Deputy Director of Transit, Karen Rogulia, Bureau Chief of Transit Capital, and there was another one up from IDOT, I'm sorry I missed them, but... <laughs> uh, Muller & Muller today, we got Mark Stromberg and his team, and then River City, we've got Lynn Skews, President, and uh, the local team of Beth and Kent. They are phenomenal, so... Um, I think that's all I have for introductions. Welcome everybody else. Sorry if I missed you. Um, As I said previously um, about the new maintenance facility, it's been on the books for quite a few years. I've only been here five years. I show up um, and finance tells me, hey, we got $6 million laying around. We need to put it in a grant project. I said, oh yeah, for what? maintenance facility okay I can help you with that you know I know a little bit about construction and uh, so we started design we dust off some old uh, plans and the original plan was we were gonna put it in the back kind of where the paint booth is and actually that top area was gonna be our parking lot and uh, I really loved that plan I thought it was a great plan but it had some uh, pitfalls that people just couldn't get over they just didn't like this ring road going up and around the side to get to it and so anyway uh, we went a few more years Uh, we got some money from FTA in about 2017 we got uh, 3.6 million Uh, then we went out for uh, 65 percent design of the facility and that's when we hired Muller and Muller and they basically said yeah you got to do a whole different concept here and what they had was a safer way for us to move our buses around in and out of the facility which I really liked and it moved it up closer so we didn't have to have the ring road and then I made them move it over to the hillside so we can make parking and uh, up here on this where these houses are so this will all be parking lot when we get done. And so that kind of was where we headed in that direction. Uh, We got another $10 million from the FTA and another round of funding. And um, things kept moving along. And then all of a sudden, uh, Rebuild Illinois came out. And that was really the catalyst to get us going. In the first round, we got a little over $12 million. Second round, we got about $8 million. And so that was really what has helped us move this project along. And so we're pretty close to having all our funding, depending on if Beth can keep our numbers where we say we are. So we'll see. Um, So, yeah, when we started this project, too, we knew we were going to need some help. And uh, IDOT suggested we use a contractor at risk and that's when we got River City involved they won the bid on that and Beth and Ken have been just a great team to work with they've done a great job of keeping us posted uh my AGM Nick Stanford has done a lot of work with this project I kind of bounce around whether I'm going to work on the project or not and sometimes you know they say either lead follow or get out of the way so most of the time I just get out of the way let these guys do their thing they'll come to me if they got some big issues they think don't want to make a decision on so they want to blame me so that's fine Uh, so let's see so anyway when we worked through this process we kept hearing wants and needs you know do we want it do we need it what do we need what do we want you know and uh, so one of the big things was the safety and the better the safety for our maintenance team and then the better working conditions for operations to team those were the two big major needs for this project and so i think we've met those and uh, there's a couple wants along the way you know we kind of wanted a better training facility and we wanted the bus simulators and maybe become a regional training facility and so we've kind of thrown that in there We also, when we first looked at this, the second and third floor operations and administration were kind of working together. And I said, yeah, that's not gonna work. Uh, There's just too much activity. And so we've changed that and we put on a third floor for the uh, administration. And uh, I think that's gonna work a lot better. Um, Basically, we really needed a new boardroom. And so we got one of those and uh, I really kind of wanted a view of the Illinois River. I don't know if I'm gonna quite get it, but it's really not a need, it's more one, uh, one of the wants. But I do wanna recognize the support we received from IDOT and FTA on this project. Without their assistance, this would still be just a plan on paper. And we appreciate their understanding how critical this need was for the Greater Peoria Mass Transit District, as well as a boost in the arm for the local economy.
0: That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest 360 station for another recap. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WNBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and at 1470WNBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WNBD News.